let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness. And every week, I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Brooklyn Democratic Party District Leaders Jesse Pierce and Sammy Namir Oliveris, where I ask them... How can local politics be more gender inclusive? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited to welcome. We have a very unique episode today because we have not one, but we have two guests. And I'm just going to welcome them straight away. We have Jesse Pierce and Sammy Namir Oliveris. How are both of you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I'm doing awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited that you're both here. And I'm also really excited because you are both Brooklyn State Committee members, aka a district leaders, advocating for gender equity in the Brooklyn Democratic Party. But before we get into your specific stories, because they're very, very cool, very incredible. Can't wait to hear about it. I feel like kind of a naughty Democrat because I literally independent of hearing your two stories, just kind of understood what a democratic committee was like literally two weeks ago. First time I heard about it, I thought I was well-versed in politics. I was like, yeah, state legislature. I speak three languages of state legislature. (laughs) Um, 
But I never knew what Democratic committees are. So can you both tell us a little bit about like what a Democratic committee member does? So Democratic county committees are supposed to be organizing structures of voters who organize their own communities. So it starts at the very local level. There is four seats for every block. Those are county committee members. In Brooklyn, we have two male, two female. They run for office. They get very few signatures and they get there to represent their blog. Those are county committees. Question, what yes. if like eight people run on those two blogs? Then they have to go to a ballot and people have to vote. And actually people, there are people, more than four people run, then the voters of that blog vote for, for them. And then the, the top winners win. Uh, and that's why we will advocate that the top winners instead of like the female and male. And this gender binary rule actually disenfranchised some women because there are only two out of the four separated for women. So there are blocks in which four women wants to run, then mm. only two can win. And the two male seats get empty. Actually, New Jersey already last year, two women and non-binary people sue New Jersey and they got uh, a very victorious decision where the gender binary rule was repealed because the women, more than two women, wanted to run in those seats. So after the county committee members, uh, for every big assembly district are the male district leader and the female district leader. And there is only 42 male district leaders in, in Bushwick, in Brooklyn, sorry. And then it is the chair of the Brooklyn Democratic Party. So this is supposed to be, and then the state, the state Democratic Party, there's another chair. And then the National Democratic Committee, which will be the DNC. So this Brooklyn Democratic Party should be the one organizing. And what is all these people are supposed to be are kind of like a campaign, like a political campaign, let's say the presidential one, where in times that are are not a presidential campaign, correct? So after we pass the presidential campaign, these are the people who for the next four years should be organizing people to register to vote, who should be finding candidates to run for office, should be educating people how to fill out their ballots, absentee ballots, and doing that groundwork work. And that's why the Democratic Party failed, because this structure, it is broken and it's not filled, and it is not energized and taking its full potential. If we keep that organizing structure during the four years, then we can actually easily win in the election. So this is what grassroots people and progressive, we want to make sure that all of these seats are filled and with people and we're energizing and making people to run to fully bring the voices of the, of the people on the ground. And I, I think that, uh, I think that it's, it's normal for the organization to be a little bit different depending on the, on the state. Uh, and then it, it rolled and of course, like very locally and that rolls up nationally uh, but I'll say that uh, the the Brooklyn uh, Democratic Party um, does encompass all of Brooklyn, and there are are lots of different parts of Brooklyn. So, so my part of Brooklyn is Brooklyn Heights, uh, downtown Brooklyn, Carroll Gardens, uh, Gowanus area, and but there are parts of Brooklyn that are a little bit more more red or more purple, depending on how you want to think about it, like Bay Ridge and in Southern Brooklyn, which is a little bit more representative, I think, of uh, uh, potentially the more rural areas uh, in the United States. Uh, people tend to uh, be a little bit more conservative uh, in their views, have more issues with with phrases like defund the police and and things like that. So we, I think that Brooklyn is actually a pretty unique space where we have very, very blue spaces but we also have communities that are a little bit more reflective, I think, of what you see outside of major urban areas, too. It happens that the Constitution of New York said, if you are going to have a party that has a gender rule, then it has to qualify for equal representation of the sexes. And this came from uh, advocacy of Eleanor Roosevelt since 1930s. So Brooklyn is one of the only ones who chose to have a gender party to rule. So for the past century, we have only men and women who fill this 5,000 seats for county committee members who represent the blocks. So me and Jesse, uh, there's also two district leaders for every community. I, and I am the male district leader, which I will, I do 
do hate the word in there. And I was one of the things that motivated me to run because it was, I feel discriminatory and exclusionary that all these 5,000 seats have male and female, excluding a lot, uh, a lot of, of our community. So that's the structure in Brooklyn. And these are supposed to be the grassroots people that organize in their, in their blocks, their neighbors, and engage them and spread the word of registering to vote, organizing, supporting candidates. So that's the, the structure that we have here in Brooklyn, which if it's functional, if it's well-led, it could be very thriving because Brooklyn is the largest, one of the two top largest democratic county committees in the entire country. So Brooklyn has one of the two largest in the country. Yes, yes. Uh, Bur- Brooklyn and Los Angeles, I believe. Are wow. Yes. So essentially it's how can local governments be more gender inclusive? And so what I hear you saying is in the New York state constitution, if they chose to make a gender difference in who the representatives were, then there had then had to be equal representation, but it completely left out non-binary and gender non-conforming people is what the impact was of this. And that was passed like back when, is that like an Eleanor Roosevelt era thing? That's what you're mm-hmm. saying? Yes. Uh, League of Women Voters and Eleanor Roosevelt. So like the 1930s. Which sounds fierce. You know, like when you think about like, we love Eleanor Roosevelt. We, I, I'm pretty, like the, the phrase a League of Women Voters it sounds amazing. I went to the new school to study human rights just because Eleanor Roosevelt went there. So now advocating to repeal actually the law that she pushed for, <laughs> which was female participation and inclusion. But the important thing here is that, yeah, Eleanor Roosevelt's advocacy to include women is so admirable and so important. And we need to keep increasing female participation. But what we should was advocating for was gender advocacy and equity. And that now we understand that that is beyond women, right? It's all that is impacted by patriarchy and a male-dominated politics and society, which are effeminated bodies, LGBTQ, queer people, transgender, gender non-conforming, and anyone who does not fit on the gender binary. So I think uh, what, one of the things that local governments can do uh, to make it more gender affirming and respect people's identities that are beyond the gender binaries, first to understand that there are more people living out outside of the gender binary. And for that, please heard Alok Vedmenon <laughs> podcast on this here. Um, uh, but I think it's eradicating that language, right? Uh, starting with the language, making sure that there is a gender inclusive language that signal that, that you understand the complexities of gender identities and expression, um, but also uh, removing these barriers of gender like Brooklyn that has only male and female that comp- completely push out people. Uh, so. so you're both minding your business. You're living in Brooklyn. We're living in New York. And then when did you get into this? Uh, so I'll say that, uh, I guess, just to speak a little bit about my background, I, I, I came through politics uh, in like, uh, and very local politics in the summer of, of 2016. But, but my day job is in in technology. So I work at a, a local tech firm in, in Manhattan. I was a journalist. I studied communications and I was on TV and until the 2016 election when the racist, xenophobic, misogynistic Trump campaign. And I was like, this is not the way that we should be covering the election. And also all these attacks on Hillary that are completely unfounded. And it was then giving a red, green light, uh, red light, green light to Trump and his misogyny. I was, and racism. So I, I get very, very fed up and I say I need to live this so I joined the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, to be a tra- Spanish translator I didn't know much about politics I just switched uh, there and after we lost the presidential um, election sadly I was like there's a huge thing happening on the ground on the at the community level that we don't know the DNC the Democratic Party literally fucked up they didn't engage young people they didn't engage people of color they didn't change the grassroots progressive I and I was like there is something at the grassroots level. So I joined the Center for Popular Democracy, very grassroots community organizing. And then I learned through political LG, there are in New York, we have, thank God, LGBTQ political clubs. So it's a group of LGBTQ people who are literally hearing and pushing um, elected officials to adopt uh 
LGBTQ inclusive politics. So through there, I heard that the Democratic Party in Brooklyn and in New York had a something called County Committee. And I need to name Genesis Aquino because she's a Black, Dominican, Spanish-speaking, migrant, queer, that was one of the first one, a progressive minded to run for district leaders. And she almost won for 100 votes. So then I, I had this idea of, wow, there's this whole world of very local engagement and those seats are empty. To have an idea of the 5,000 seats in Brooklyn, half of them are empty. So there's a huge lack of, of opportunity there. So I get more involved in the LGBTQ political clubs. And one day I saw that my district leader did not represent our values, that the, 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 the title it was male district leader, that it was only gender binary, when I am gender non-conforming myself, and some days I wear dresses and high heels, and some days the last thing that I want to de- describe myself as is a male, and I, I thought that was an opportunity, I was like where do I sign up for this? I think we need to make sure that our party, the Democratic Party particularly, it reflects those values and reflect New York City Brooklyn is one of the most queer spaces, my district is Williamsburg and Bushwick where all of the queer artists live and queer people, uh, one of the most uh, LGBTQ diverse in the entire country. And it, the, it was not reflected of that. And I thought that the gender parity rule was a, uh, a challenge that we need to reform to ensure that it is more inclusive. And I re- decided to run last December for district leader. And it was a leap of faith to make sure that through my campaign, our campaign, I could let people know that gender non-conforming, non-binary people exist and TGNC folks and that we know we don't only deserve deserve a, a seat at the table we deserve a voice a vote and also we can also lead some of those ta- tables you know um so but right now we're not advocating for a seat at the table we're asking to get the front door open because uh TGNC folks cannot even run for those offices so uh to to la- to finish I run for county committee which is the tiny city in my blog and I did not put gender and I it was disqualified so it is actually excluding people and that's what we're advocating for right now is to repeal that gender binary rule so we can allow anyone regardless of their gender uh to run and represent their their communities uh and really serve because of their contributions not of their gender yes and then so how where are we in that fight about repealing that rule yes uh so i think one one group to mention uh within all of this is uh there were six plaintiffs uh one of whom uh was sammy sammy mentioned uh uh, petitioning to be on county committee and, and petitioning in, in New York means gathering signatures so that you can uh, be uh, run for elected office, essentially. So uh, in, in these county committee seats, there are so many of them and they're so small that for the most part, it's just an act of going out, asking your neighbor for signature and getting the right number of signatures. And then you are a, an elected county committee member representing your mm. neighborhood. And the... The thing to because of uh, the way that the the county committee seats are are organized is the forms that you you actually are are showing like my name is Jesse Pierce I'm running for county committee your address is on there and also a a gender designation so male or female indicating whether you're running for the male or female seats so what Sammy and other uh, plaintiffs uh, and I say plaintiffs because they they ended up suing the Board of Elections and the Brooklyn Democratic Party is that they filed their county committee petitions with their signatures without a, a gender marker. And the Board of Elections threw them out uh, because they, they didn't have them. And so that's when the, the lawsuit was filed because they said that they were being discriminated against based on based on their gender. And so the what was ruled uh, by the judge and, and Sammy can correct me if I misrepresent this, but is that the the Brooklyn Democratic Party needed to to sort out these these gender designations and and figure out a way to to stop the exclusionary practice of of just male and female genders and and keeping people from participating. And so where we're at now is there were so Sammy and I were uh, first uh, elected as district leaders uh, this this past summer and uh, at us too. Uh, in addition, congratulations. To, yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so we were elected to represent our our communities, our our, our democratic communities, and 
uh, in addition to Sammy and and myself, uh, we also have uh, Julio Pena, who's another uh, queer district leader, uh, newly elected, and then also the the president, uh, Jared Rader of uh, Lambda Independent Democrats, which is a, a, a queer political club, the, the queer political club in Brooklyn, and others are members are, are now members of a task force that was created by Renny Spichot, who's the uh, Brooklyn Democratic Party chair or party boss. Uh, and, sh- and she created the task force in order to uh, uh, investigate the gender issue and basically provide a recommendation on what the party should do going forward from a rules perspective in order to allow TGNC and non-binary people to participate. And I want to quickly add that in that task force, uh, the task force did not have basically very little non-binary or representation. So it was 14 people without non-binary, barely non-binary queer representation. So we had to fight to understand that this panel had to have non-binary and TGNC. But fortunately, uh, after our advocacy, also Jason Walker, um, who is a, a non-binary also Black uh, activist, was added as well, a transgender Black transgender women, T.S. Candy. And when has that task force issued their, what their recommendations are yet? Or are we still, are they still researching? So we're, we're in a stage right now where we're actually accepting public comments. So tonight and tomorrow, there are two public forums where people are submitting written testimony and also requesting to to speak to the task force in order to to state like what what their preference would be when it comes to the to the gender rule and so that's very exciting because it's been a lot of meetings kind of behind the scenes and so now we're actually soliciting public feedback so i just want to quickly try to understand too just to make it clear so the brooklyn democratic uh the brooklyn democratic party and the county committee it's basically if you want to join the committee, what I hear you saying is you have to like gather signatures and then you have to like sign your name and then like sign like, you know, if you want to be like male or female. And then if you yes. do that and then get enough signatures then you automatically are on the committee because there's like two spots. But a lot of those are not filled like in both like because Sammy, you are you represent like Williamsburg and uh that other oh my gosh I can't keep them. why does Brooklyn have so many names no offense but there's literally Williams like 17 bajillion names this is where yes. all the gay bars LGBTQ bars in Brooklyn <laughs> are in my district so yeah but then there's just I don't want to check my complaining this but for someone who's from like a cornfield it's like so hard to remember like all the baby like they're not baby neighborhoods they're very adult neighborhoods but it's just very hard for me to keep them you know all organized but anyway so because I think I think I'm still reeling from the fact that there are Democratic committees, not in a bad way. I just mean reeling in the sense that it's like when I'm trying to act like I understand a haircut, but I don't. And then I'm like running into the back room to like go check, like, you know, look at like Bob's on YouTube. So I could be like, wait, how do I do this again? We're going to take a really quick break. And then we're going to be right back with more Getting Curious after this. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wujahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwek, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. In the brand new book, Dear By Men, author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are Black, Mask, and Bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi-plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. 
North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear By Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Bennis. We have Jesse Pierce and we have Sammy Demir Oliverius. Okay, so no, wait. We were just saying right before the break um, about how county committees are made up. So once they get elected, is there four, is it four-year terms or two-year terms? So it's it's two-year terms, uh, same as district leaders. So Sammy and I were elected for two years. And I think the the grassroots and local organizing and, and voter education and, and really just uh, wanting to, to get the turnout of the vote, what Sammy was speaking to is, is critical to having a very vibrant, active and dynamic base of, of Democratic voters. I think the, the interesting thing also to, to point out about New York City and specifically Brooklyn is that all of our elected officials are are Democrats. And so it, it, it creates a situation where in order for because the, the purpose of the public when it comes to elected officials is that we want to hold them accountable to make sure that they are voting the way that we want them to, that they are, they are leading, uh, in, in, uh, expression of our values and what we say is important. And so one thing that the county and county committee as a rule, because there are so many people in so many spots, each individual does not hold a, a lot of power, but it's really about power building and, and building a base. And so if you get a large group of county committee members that are uh, aligned, you can have really strong influence on how the the local Brooklyn Democratic Party operates. And that's the purpose of, of the grassroots organizing and making sure you're getting active members involved. And just as an example, one of the things that county committee can do is that if, if somebody leaves office before their term ends, uh, and again, because everybody in, in Brooklyn and New York City is a Democrat, the county committee is responsible for picking the Democratic Party nominee uh, for the special election to fill that vacant seat. And, and since New York, unfortunately, has such a strong incumbent culture, uh, you, you're one, you're basically picking the person who will win that election because again, everyone is a Democrat, but you're also likely picking the person who will hold that seat for a s- significant period of time and elected officials hold, hold power. And so that that's, that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about making sure we want to get active representation and then going back to getting a TGNC and, and non-binary people open seats to this is we're, we're talking about trying to build electoral power uh, and, and include those people who have been excluded by the way that the, the Brooklyn Democratic Party is organizing itself. And that's not the only power of, of district leaders. I want to say that one of the attentions that white district leaders are becoming so attention is because in Brooklyn, for example, one of the powers that Jesse and I have, we this is our unpaid voluntary position, but district leaders choose the judges in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Supreme Court, surrogate court. So when we're talking about racial justice and reforming the criminal justice reform and who gets to, you know, abolish the uh, school to prison pipeline and all this, you know, mass incarceration, uh, it has to, you know, district leaders have a, are a gateway. So uh, district leaders beyond the rules of the Democratic Party have this like alternative power of choosing a district leader or recommending them. And uh, that's something that we as a progressive district leaders want to completely reform. So the, the role of a district leader and county committee members are beyond actually what it is to like local office or the Brooklyn Democratic Party. It is a lot of, it has an impact on people's lives and that's why it's so important. And I want to also add that to complicate, in, in addition to the Brooklyn Democratic Party, there's also the State Democratic Party. And I want to uh, highlight that Emilia de Coving was the first transgender state committee member. And a lot of this work also was inspired by Emilia de Coving presented um, uh, a gender rule change that that is also very similar to uh, that at the state level there are some gender diversity uh, that there's more space for beyond male and female and there is a bill in the state legislature in New York to make this change. Um, so one other thing that I hear us saying is because this everyone you know here we're talking about 
these elections are determined at midterms and primaries, right? Because like they wouldn't happen like, correct. Yes, that that's right. Because they're a Democratic Party position. So it, it happens in the primary. So, and I know that we don't necessarily know how like every state does it here, but I wonder if that's a part of why this is, the system doesn't work because if local Democrats and other places don't see that as a reason to turn out and a reason to vote, then there's really no eyes on who is getting elected to these county committees and state committees who are so responsible for grassroots turnout. And I think one thing that I hear effective politicians, especially progressive ones like AOC say, is that like, you have to be on the ground. You have to be like, chatting to people and having really strong grassroots local engagement. And I think that in a lot of rural communities, especially when it comes to the Democratic Party, like they've just been so forgotten. I think it's a really important point that you're bringing up, Jonathan, mm-hmm. because it, it, it there's a there's a complacency that at least exists uh, in in New York City uh, politics because the assumption is that we're a blue state. And so uh, that you, you don't need to pay attention and the, the the people who benefit from that are, are the people who hold power and don't want people paying attention and don't want people asking questions and don't want people to participate. And so one of the one of the exciting things about, you know, Sammy and me and others who are newly elected district leaders, at least at the very local level, is just is just getting more excitement about these local races because the a regular voter has so much more sway over these local races and you, and you're like donating dollars uh, goes so much farther to these local races and that you, you basically have much more influence as an everyday voter on very local races, regardless of whether you live in Brooklyn or elsewhere. And so the idea is just to bring awareness to these positions uh, that, that can be forgotten and show people that you have real power just by understanding what's going on and and either running for these positions because there hasn't been a challenger in X number of years and just bringing bringing that awareness so that that people know that they exist and that that they can hold again hold their elected officials accountable. Yeah, a lot of I want to say a lot of people um, focus when we have like a Republican in another state uh, race. But to add to what Jesse said, not all Democrats uh, come, you know, are created equal. And I think that we need to hold them accountable. And the only way is to bring that transparency, but also attention to these races. And for example, when we are in a pandemic, you know, and after many years, some Democrats uh, are conservative or very moderate, do not get a challenge or, or don't have that grassroots uh, accountability, they became, you know, take positions that do not represent the democratic values, right? We are in a pandemic and we need to cancel, do rent relief. We need universal health care in New York. We need uh, to defund the police, to fund schools and, and many of the social services. And none of those things are happening because the democratic leaders do not feel incentivized because they don't, we don't have that kind of structure and pressure uh, built enough to, or they don't listen because then they know that because they're Democrats, they will continue winning. And what a lot of races like ours and many other challenges, democratic challengers to recent uh, local races like Democratic Socialists of America, Working Families Party, or independent progressive candidates have been doing is to challenge those leaders and say, no, the fact that you're Democrat doesn't mean that you could stay there and take very moderate stance. We need to make sure that we're representing the values, right? So I think that's the 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 point that we're trying to to make. Which is a really good point. And I also, while we're on that point, because I do want to speak more to why having binary uh, elected official positions are so limiting in the first place. I, I do think that a lot of people listening to that would be like, you know, we're not a big fans of the binary on this podcast, generally speaking, especially if you have to fill it out to like fucking run for something. bullshit so I want to so we do talk. but another thing that is just making me think about is another reason why it's so important is that like we had protesters in Manhattan and in Brooklyn getting like experiencing police abuses being detained it like I just feel like there's very much things happening in very blue places that we would think are very progressive that are actually you know very much aligned with like moderate sort of you know moderate stuff that we don't really like one thing that I wrote down 
when you were explaining that, because I mean, I think you guys got elected in June. That's obviously we were having so many protests here. There was so many abuses by the police that just like people just getting, you know, kind of taken off the streets. There was a lot of violence. So I just want people to know it's like, well, why should I care about these committees? Well, there's aside from everything else that you've said, what are other ways? What are the hopes for your future about what the more awareness gets risen about what committees do and what this type of hyper-local politics can do for other communities? Because other progressive communities need work too. And obviously other rural ones do. So what are other ways that you think that these committees could sway power? Yeah. So, I I mean, I think, I think it comes down to, to relationship building, you know, people want to be respected. People want to feel like they're being heard. And so, and I, we saw, you know, clearly with the, with the protests uh, after the murder of George Floyd, uh, especially in New York, people, people weren't being heard. And so they, they took to the streets in order to raise attention to the issues of the, of the, over bloated NYPD budget, uh, and and from there, you know, it, defund the police, and then really tangible actions came out of that, like like cutting the NYPD's budget uh, within city council, and there were a ton of of local advocacy groups uh, that were that were doing that organizing and bringing that issue to the forefront. I think if if we're tying it specifically, for example, to the Brooklyn Democratic Party or any kind of local party uh, organization there was no there was no statement from the Brooklyn Democratic Party when it when it came to the Black Lives Matter protests um, there there's no right now there's no published platform uh, from the Brooklyn Democratic Party and so if we go back to everybody in this town is a Democrat uh, we need to, in order we need our elected officials to to prioritize issues that affect our daily lives, as Sammy mentioned, talking about the coronavirus epidemic, rent relief, both residential and commercial. We'll see tons of small businesses close because they just they can't stay open because the people can't you know visit them. There's there's no revenue. And the Brooklyn Democratic Party as an organization is is effectively vacating the the conversation. Uh, and not and not putting pressure on the on the people who are in office uh, to to provide relief to everyday Brooklynites. So that's just I think an example of uh, you know po- politics not not doing what they can for for grassroots or or everyday people. And it's and it's about building those relationships on the ground. So creating the structures uh, within your community to to then understand like what tools you have to organize and how you can use your voice and then use the, use your toolbox to, to put pressure on people who make those decisions. Yeah. I think ultimately that's what it feels like we're missing is like that, that, that ability to communicate across the spectrum of party lines that exist within the democratic party. I mean, obviously you two know your elected officials that are district leaders, but like y'all wake up. Like maybe this is why we're not really chatting that well amongst ourselves because we're not electing the people and even in the fight, as Elizabeth Warren would say, about who has these chats about people on the ground, because the grassroots communication is just so important. Otherwise, it gets lost. And we're seeing what that loss in translation looks like. And I kind of felt like the like the national convention this year was such a good example of like. We're eating ice cream and talking about dogs, but really there's like a lot of like much more important stuff that we're not talking about here. And it it felt generally disconnected from so many of the worries that like my Democrat, like progressive minded people were really worried about in the general election, whether it was like state legislatures or whether it was about police budgets or whether, whether it was about really focusing on racial equality. It's like, we were still tiptoeing around, you know, trying to make, more moderates feel comfortable, like listening to the John Kasichs of the world instead of really leaning into what our base is. So that idea of like, I heard someone explain it, like Democrats run away from their base, whereas like Republicans tend to run towards it. And so how does that relate to the, your opinions on the, the state of the democratic party's future in general? Well, politics are local. And if we want to a thriving, progressive, transformational, 
National Democratic Party or, or presidential candidates that reflect our values, we need to start at the most local level, at that block, because it is from those uh, structures of, of power, of opportunity and engagement, local organizing, that leaders grow. And for a long time, the Democratic Party has put there a lot of people that are just using it as a pipeline for power instead of organizing and bringing up the voices of the community. So I think we should be as a vision where all of these little county committees are filled with people, regular voters that want to really engage, that want to participate, that want to bring the concerns and the vision that they have for the Democratic Party. It should not be a top-down from a presidential uh, campaign or the DNC telling us and the entire country what should be their policies, but it should be a, a bottom, bottom-up a strategy where we're listening to the neighbors, to county committee members as to what are they hearing in their communities, what are their needs, and that. And I think we could move forward, and I think that's the vision that us as a progressive district leaders are, are pushing through in Brooklyn is that we're here to listen and to push that vision and bring the values of our community, not to decide for them, right? So I think we, I, I encourage everyone across the country to look at, you know, what are the local, like, structure of powers are doing. And it is not only county committee, right? There's also school boards, community boards, right? There's also this spaces of leadership in which you can accept so much power locally and, and, and from there affect some change more, more uh, citywide. I just want to add really quickly that I think it takes a real investment of by our, our Democratic Party, both locally and nationally, in order to create these structures. Like it takes time to build these relationships. Running for office is is prohibit. It's so hard. Uh, you know, like I I have a, an amazing supportive partner. I don't have children. I have a a, a job that was very supportive and. And essentially running for an unpaid position like this is, is both expensive and extraordinarily time consuming. I, I also had an amazing team of people that were helping me every step of the way, but like th- these should be barrier. These are barrier, true barriers to, to politics that the, if the party is serious about creating a leadership pipeline and, and building support from the ground level, we should be understanding all of these things that are structurally prohibitive for, for creating like a really dynamic space for, for our politics and then coming up with real solutions in order to, to lift people up because that's, that's the way that we'll create real change and really uh, help people understand like our point of view and, and, and bring people in in order to, create create that change from a from a policy level in addition to a people level. One thing I learned from Wendy Davis when I interviewed her about some of the things I inter- asked her about was her time as a state senator in Texas. And she was saying how that is also an unpaid position in the state of Texas. Like there's no salary for like a state senator or a congressperson. And why that is so aside of, in addition to all the reasons why you just said about it's really cross prohibitive to run and, and do that full time if like, but it also really opens you up to, um, to like to just if you're if there's no payment, it can open you up to corruption. If like someone can come through the back door and be like, "Hey, if you," because if I mean at least that's what she was kind of saying. It would actually bring a little bit more transparency if we could pay people for the work that they're doing because it is, and it also is so limiting to folks who can't afford to run if they don't have a job. Yeah, if you're a single parent, if you work strange hours, uh, you it, it just it, it's 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 yeah, it it d- doesn't allow for class diversity. For uh, it just really promotes people with different levels of, of of privilege, and you end up getting a lot of the same people representing you because they're able to to overcome the the unpaid positions and and the and the lack of support. And and this fight. And this advocacy of us to ensure that the peoples of all genders um, are included or have an ability to run for a very local office is very intersectional because we understand that um, the intersection with a lot of people of color, right? And that comes from very, Brooklyn is one of the most diverse boroughs in the entire country, right? So it is not only about gender, it's about race and class. And I think that these unpaid seats that are county committee members uh, require some time and require some 
some level of access of information. So what we're trying to do is remove all barriers, barriers that are preventing people to actually engage or even know about it. So we believe that not only by removing the gender category, but it will also making sure that we proactively as a democratic party, evaluating what are other barriers that people have to engage in these meetings, whether they have to be in person, they're, they're limiting people with disabilities, whether they are only in English, they're limiting people from multiple languages, especially in a very immigrant place like Brooklyn, and whether this, you know, have lack of access to childcare, where, you know, people that work too much jobs cannot attend these meetings. And I think that there's so much that we could do, and that's one of the, the works. And I think the most immediate and discriminatory rule is the gender binary, but I think we can do so much better to include everyone under that tent uh, that is a democratic party. And I, to answer your question is like, there's so much that you could do um, because there's the, the, the two theories of change on when it comes to be an insider or an outsider, right? And we can protest and we can like really criticize the democratic party and we could criticize our elected officials to some extent and exert some power from pressure from the outside, but also we need people in the inside. We need progressive district leaders. We need progressive Congress members like AOC, right? To be inside affecting that change, to uh, uh, putting out, raising their voices. So by people engaging and joining their county committee, that's what they will be doing, bringing that protest, bringing that complaint inside and those ideas and helping reform and push the party to that vision that we want to, to achieve and that's what we need more people to engage rather than be, become apathetic and, 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 and excluded. But I, we understand particularly for transgender, gender non-conforming and non-binary people, the real work and hard work, that emotional labor that that has to be. So that's what I want to also encourage Jesse Pierce, um, uh, encourage, I want to admire and recognize the work of those gender non-conforming and non-binary people who sue the party and that are advocating taking this fight because it's very emotional intense and people should not be going through this to participate, to represent their blood, correct? So what we're trying here to do is like put out that effort uh, to lead the way and open the, the gates or others at some point in the future can just run and say, I want to run for county committee and no one second guess or ask, what's your gender? Can you tell your neighbors what's your gender or what's your race, right? And just participate. And I think that it is incredibly admirable and the courage of all these plaintiffs and, and advocates that are putting this work right now. So everyone can, can run regardless of, of these barriers. Well, I think we should really talk about that, too, because I think I was so trying to get everyone to understand, like, what a committee is that we didn't even get to talk about that. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. 
as you're, you know, wanting to get involved in this fight and leading up to this initial barrier, and I think we touched on it, but I do just want to more clearly put it out there, is that the very first thing that you have to do is mark male or female. And I know for every single thing I do as a gender nonconforming person, like every time I'm like forced to do that, whether it's signing up for something or filling out a new form, it's like... Like, it's always an emotionally taxing thing. It's always an irritating thing. And so I think when you're talking about doing something like that for public office, it's even more irritating because it's, like, just feels like it's something we shouldn't have to be discriminated against at that. We shouldn't ever, but especially in an elected position. So, essentially, you did. We, how... I think so. You, so yes, I guess I just want to echo what you're saying: is the courage and of conviction and strength that it takes, and the emotional labor that it takes to sue your local party for that inclusion. I just want to say, as a non-binary person, thank you so much for having that courage and for having that strength and for making that stand because it's such an important one. Yeah, I want people to understand the emotional impact that it has uh, it, that this discrimination and yes, the society. I just see at large have all this, you know, binary rules and division, but uh, that's what we should actually, the Democratic Party, especially in New York, lead the way that it, to, to pass a rule to really signal to the rest of the country uh, how we need to be moving forward when it comes to gender equity, that it includes and ensure that everyone can participate regardless of, of their gender. So when you have to run for a seat like in the Brooklyn Democratic Party, um, that is only male and female seats, you have to up options, whether you feel excluded, discriminated, and withdraw yourself completely and say the Brooklyn Democratic Party or the, the Democratic Party is not a place for me, or you are forced to lie. And you have to choose between male or female, two identities that you do not belong to, and really lie and forced to be excluded, you know, exposed in the entire borough county uh, with a gender that is not yours, right? And uh, I think that that's not only emotionally uh, draining, but it is inhumane, right? And I think that that's what we're advocating to repeal it and no one should go through that. And so I am very encouraged for all this, um, you know, people who are standing up and saying, no, I mean, my, my, I have nothing to do, my gender does have nothing to do with, with my contribution and, and engaging to run for office. After the public comment uh, section, when can New York and Brooklyn expect a final ruling on this or a more ultimate decision? Uh, I, think, I think we don't know the exact timeline quite yet, but I, I think that it's... I don't imagine there would be that many meetings afterwards, but it's, I would say it's, it's within weeks is probably a, a fair guess. So the way that it'll work now is that the task force per, makes a proposal or recommendation to the uh, Brooklyn Democratic Party's executive committee, and that's the district leaders. So Sammy mentioned there are 42 district leaders that sit on top of the county committee uh, and the executive committee make in this case would pass like a, a rules change, uh, ideally based on the proposal of the, of the gender task force. Well, the, the elephant, I, I want before we leave to look, briefly uh, ask you or talk about the elephant in the room uh, when we're discussing inclusion or transgender and gender nonconforming people, which is the quota, gender quota for women, which was there to begin with, right? 50% women. So a lot of the, of the, hesitancy and, and, you know, uh, pressure has come from uh, people who believe that repealing that uh, 50% gender quota for women will be impactful, right? Uh, especially from, you know, the, the when, when it comes from the thought of, of trans-exclusionary trans feminists, right? So our argument is we are also feminists, but we're all radical, uh, you know, intersectional feminists. And what we the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is it worth it to have a gender binary rule that uh, that provides 50% of the seats for women, but is actually excluding and keeping out and discriminating against one of the most marginalized and underrepresented communities, which are all those uh, beyond the gender binary, gender non-conforming, non-binary and transgender people. So it, it, is a, it was a pro proactive rule, but at the same time it's excluding others. So how do we make sure that we include a, a 
we're making sure that women are uh, taken into consideration and represented, but at the same time, we're bringing up other identities and making gender equity. Um, all genders should matter, so and representation matters. So uh, we don't only share the value of female participation, but also all of the other genders. And I think that that's what we're getting support from in the task force, and we hope that the Brooklyn Democratic Party end up uh, voting for that. So what are your hopes for both of your districts and and what are they prioritizing heading into this new year? Uh, so we have a, a big round of, of city citywide and city council races happening uh, in in 2021. Uh, so the the uh, the mayor is there's a mayoral election. A lot of these positions are term limited. And so it's creating a, a lot of candidates and engagement uh, within these these city and, and some borough wide positions. So that's very exciting is, is wanting to make sure that there are there's a lot of voter participation there. Uh, also, for these city elections, it's the first time that we'll be using something called ranked choice voting. Uh, which Ooh. is yeah, really exciting, and and so, but it, as it'll be the first time, there'll be a lot of voter education that that needs to be done, where to help people understand they don't just select one candidate; you select multiple candidates based on your your ranked favorites, and so that's uh, creating a lot of a lot of energy and and conversation in in our local politics because uh, most of these races have upwards of like five and sometimes 10 and even more candidates. So, mm-hmm. so if, it, just a quick question on that. If there is, cause I first saw this like amazing graphic about ranked choice voting for the main Senate race. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, that's how it works. Fun. So if there's like five candidates or like 10, do you have to rank like all of them or do, will it say like in the directions, like rank your top four or like rank your top three or do you have to do all of them? Or is it different every time? You have up to five. If there's 10, you can rank choice five, but you can do one, you can do two, three, how much as you can up to five. And that doesn't invalidate it. So I guess the bottom line is like, read the directions. Don't be like my stepdad at RIP, who I loved so much and he was amazing, but honey, he could not be bothered with the direction. And then like, whenever like we would assemble something, it like broke. So just be sure to like read the directions. It's so important to read the directions. Especially when talking about voting. Well, one of one of the things the early research has found that it in, increases participation of, of, or victories of women and people of color and those from underrepresented communities. And we're particularly excited from 2021 because the New York City Council for the next 10 years uh, will have 40 new seats out of 50, right? So um, we're going to lose all of the LGBTQ council members in New York City, which for the past 10 years have been one of the pioneering bodies of LGBTQ politics in the country. So so we're going to lose all of the five uh, currently openly LGBTQ members. So if no LGBTQ candidate win for city council next year, we could be seeing a New York City without LGBTQ queer representation for the next eight to eight years. So uh, we're ex- hopeful that the ranked choice voting really helps uh, women, people of color and LGBTQ candidates to come up and really represent their communities. New York, no! You better look up these races! That's actually one of the reasons why it's so important at, again, at these local mm-hmm. levels that we do what we can to support and create a, a leadership pipeline for TGNC and non-binary and other queer communities in order for people to get the experience and and get these skills. And I'm actually going to take a little bit of a moment to share a personal detail about Myron, because as Sammy mentioned, the district leader positions are are male and, and female. And I ran for the female seat in my district. And it was actually a lot of through the course of my race Two of being kind of boxed into the female and woman category that I I came to realize for myself that that that's not quite that's not right for me and that I fall somewhere on the spectrum and so I, I identify as as non-binary and it was you know through the experience of, of running my campaign and also having these conversations with people and and kind of broadening. And a lot of it too, I think for people who maybe are more exposed to LGBTQ issues on the sexuality side, you know, separating out gender and sexuality um, from a, an identity and, and experience perspective. And 
that's, I think, the potential power that we have uh, within these very local levels is to really diversify who's participating and giving people the tools to represent their community and, and share their lived experiences. And, and that's why it's it's so critical in, in spaces like this to be like as accessible as possible and, and create as many opportunities as we can so we can have these really amazing, uh, fierce candidates from a diverse set of perspectives. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jesse. That was major. That was incredible. And I just think the import, as Alok says, and I think this is one of, it, it's like a shocking sentence, but I think that it's, it's well, it's, yeah, basically like every bit of violence that we deal with at the root, like comes from this idea of the binary and the fact that we have been in so many different ways can conformed into one of these two camps when in reality, the the uniqueness and the humanity that we all have could never possibly be arranged into those two things. And so I think to have that in elections cannot be. And I really thank you so much for sharing that your story with us and Sammy for you sharing your story with us. Um, but I think it's really, it's just such a vulnerable place to put yourself out publicly. And I've never run for office, but I think to do it at all, it's, it's such a vulnerable thing. I mean, you're putting yourself out in front of your peers and asking asking for something. And I think to bring in gender expression and create and fighting for your right to run in the first place. I just, again, want to say thank you to both of you because we need more of you. And I just thank both of you so much for your work. I just want to appreciate and send love to Jesse for sharing that. And like, I think it's just, uh, uh, it accentuates why this, this fight is so important, right? Gender is very personal. Uh, it fluctuates, it fluctuates, it, it's fluid, right? And someday gender fluid people, gender non-conforming people, you know, feel differently and identify differently. And I, the fact that Jesse themselves went through this process uh, while running for office, it should be very personal, but it also creates some trauma and some pressure that should not be there. So for people like Jesse, for people like you, Jonathan Vaness, across the countries that we're fighting for this to eliminate those rules because they force an external pressure that we already have living our lives. So when you're trying to help the party, it it should not be there. And my message to the progressive world is that movement is that we should not be fighting only for economic justice or or racial justice in a silo. It should be truly intersectional and that should bring up gender justice for we need to bring gender justice to the conversation and not dismissive as identity politics, right? Our identities matter and like the way that we identify and there are gender issues that are beyond some of the other progressive quote unquote uh, fights and they have this these stories and these identities needs to be taken into consideration yes and what can people do that are listening to this that want to be i mean i think we've already talked about this but sometimes you just got to ask it one more time but what can listeners do that want to become more engaged and and enact more change in their local democratic party where do they start uh yeah so i think it's uh, I think the the best thing because these so these organizations and structures do vary depending on where you live and and what's been set up. So I I think it it does need a little bit of of research and legwork to understand how those structures are set up. And you can also reach out to your elected officials as well if they're if uh, if the representatives within that party they they surely know uh, the who, where the Democratic Party is and and who are the people that are doing the the local organizing. I think I think also uh, if you are interested in a particular issue, uh, just researching advocacy groups uh, that are that are doing that grassroots local work uh, and just start showing up to spaces. I mean, I think. COVID's clearly been a wreck to our society in so many ways, but there is a little bit of a level of accessibility when it comes to these virtual meetings uh, and 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 parents uh, and and other people just being able to to show up. And so I think, at, at least like my experience in in trying to uh, insert myself and figure out what's going on, it's it's doing a little bit of a legwork and then just showing up and seeing what what fits for you. I think. 
that, uh, you know, one of great pieces of advice is just like try things out and take what works for you and, and leave what, what doesn't. And I think that there are just like so many ways to get in, involved. And, and like I said before, that these, these local races and, and local organizations are just desperate for people to be paying more attention and to contribute in small ways. So your efforts can just go uh, in it so far and, ha- and you have such a broad influence by just a little bit of, of participation. So I can't, I can't advocate enough for people to, to try to do the, the research and just, and just get involved in, in, in local, local party organizing or uh, local advocacy organizing. Visibility matters, representation matters, right? So no one else has the views that I have as a Puerto Rican, queer, raised by a single mother, unemployed, right? Living in Brooklyn right now. So each of us have a unique perspective to bring. And I think we could bring that to many other spaces. Usually you say run for office or donate, but there's so much that you can do. I always uh, try to bring out the best of people. So if you do hair, then do hair. Please reach out to Jesse Pierce and say, Jesse, can I make my makeover for you, right? So if you do finances, reach out to your local elected officials and say, can I help you with the finances? Because it has to thrive. Like I'm talking about bliss and joy. Like I really think that you could provide from wherever you are. Um, there is also school boards. There is community boards. Um, they're like local, like churches, uh, community-based organizations. They all have leadership positions, com- advisory boards. And I think being us queer and living our true selves, I show up to the community boards, the school boards in dresses and high heels. No one say anything. They just respect me for who I am, right? And that creates tectonic shift of mind and thinking because we're living our our truth, right? And like now it's not something that all oh, those people down there or like LGBTQ people there. No, it's me. I'm here, right? And I think that that created a mind shift. And um, I want like, for example, if you don't have an LGBTQ political club, you can start one. Like Marty Cummings will be, is running for city council, will be the first non-binary elected official in the entire New York state next year. Marty Cummings founded a LGBTQ political club in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan a few years ago. So that's something that people could do. Call your all your gay friends and LGBTQ friends and say, let's do a group and let's see what our elected officials are doing for LGBTQ policy. So there's so much that you could do to really affect change at the very local level where you're going to change truly hearts, but also minds and affect policy change. Yes, Marty Cummings. Yes, Jesse Pierce. Yes, Sammy Oliveris. You are killing it. Everyone is just really, I love both of you so much. I'm so grateful for your time. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Brooklyn Democratic Party District Leaders, Jesse Pierce and Sammy Namir Oliveris. You'll find links to their work on the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by and my very best friend since sixth grade, Emily Bossick. Our editor is Andrew Carson and our transcriptionist is Cassie Jerkins. Thank you both. That is a major workload and you can especially ask Andrew after all of these ad reads that I mess up so much every week and my intro and outro that even though it doesn't change I still have to do it like five times every week because I just you know it's just what it is so if you're still listening I love you so much Getting Curious is produced by me Erica Ghetto Emily Bosick, Chelsea Jacobson and Colin Anderson uh,